Hello, my name is Chris Lynch. I'm the executive chairman of AtScale and the chairman of Data Robot. And you're here on Machine Meets Machine. Live from Infinia ML, this is Machine Meets World. And now, here's your host, James Kotecki. You know, Chris, I think one day we are going to have a show called Machine Meets Machine. It's going to be a show where two sentient robots talk to each other. And I'll be watching that show very carefully. I don't know about you. Well, I thought we were both data robots. So that's why I said Machine Meets Machine. But you're right. It's Machine Meets World. <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. In a sense, we in a sense, I guess we are all data robots in some kind of metaphorical sense. Chris, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you on. You're kind of a double whammy guest because you represent two interesting companies in the AI ML data science space at scale and data robot. I believe you're the CEO and chairman of at scale. Is that right? So maybe we'll start That's with correct. that one. Uh, so let's start with that one. Let's just contextualize you for folks. Uh, what's the one or two sentence description of at scale and how it fits into the ecosystem? So at scale is a semantic layer that delivers one logical view of all an enterprise's data so they can deliver actionable insights. And by semantic layer, we're talking about words that regular people use and understand. That's right. And we and we translate whatever the the BI tool of choice is in any of the back end data. We create one logical view and access, which provides business context to the data and hopefully actionable insights. So it's a way for, is it is it mostly targeted towards like non-business users then? Is it a way for kind of, I mean, sorry, non-technical users? Is that mostly the target where it's like business leaders, executives, people who need to query the data, but don't necessarily have the technical chops to query it in the way that it might've been in the past? That's exactly right, James. And the layer that we're talking about is the, like, are you making a, a user interface for that layer, or is the layer something that people can kind of insert into their own UIs? Great question, James. So the way to think about it is users can use the BI tool of their choice, and that could be Power BI, Tableau. Um, it could be Excel on the front end, the business user. And on the back end, they basically hit at scale, and we do all the work to serve up the data in one logical view and the translation of that into the BI tool of choice. Got it. And let's also contextualize your other kind of hat, which is the chair, I believe you're the chairman of Data Robot, a company that many viewers might actually be familiar with, but how do you define the brand of Data Robot? Yeah, so I'm the founding investor and chairman of Data Robot. And I actually, um, I stole the line from The Clash which said that they were the only band that matters. I believe that Data Robot is the only ML AI company that matters. And they build a modeling platform that delivers the entire AI ML workflow. And I think that they're three to five years ahead of anybody in the marketplace. Super exciting company. And I think that the whole idea of AI, and I think we're in like maybe inning two, and I think it's gonna be transformational in so many ways you know, to the, to the world we live in, both professionally and personally, um, that, it, you know, it's just super exciting. And the connection between the two is at scale sort of lives in the BI world and Data Robot lives in the AI world. And at scale is the bridge between BI and AI and back. 
What's the distinction in your minds between AI and BI? And I ask this as a marketer. Marketers are notorious for just using terms interchangeably or throwing things out there, and eventually things can kind of become what we all collectively think that they mean. I think probably some people do use BI to mean AI and vice versa, but it seems like you're making a distinction. Yeah, so I, I would say that from my perspective, BI connotes uh, traditional statistical analytics. Um, it also is a requirement sort of that you have real IT infrastructure driving the, um, the data analysis and trying to put it into a form that business users can use. And my view is that AI really automates that process so that you're delivering those actual insights to the business user versus them having to laboriously mine the data and identify what data is really required to deliver the best insights. So to me, it's, it's about automation and it's about access to the data. And from our perspective, there's a marginal return on optimization of models, but there's, a, there's an exponential return on delivering new data sets that live in organizations that today aren't analyzed by those machine learning products. And that's where AtScale comes in and the partnership between AtScale and any modeling company, but in particular, um, DataRobot delivers real and um, new value to business users. Is that a counterintuitive idea for some people? The idea that AI models actually are not necessarily the most valuable part of this process? I mean, are they almost commoditized in some way, And but everything else that you're building around them is the real business value? That's exactly right, James. From my perspective, um, I have a saying that, you know, some people like, some people don't, but I'll say it. Um, it's not about the model, stupid. It's about the data, right? So you can optimize a model from 99% to 99.5%. You're not going to create new actionable insights. However, if you take that same model and you don't mess around with optimizing it and you provide new data sources, and most of those live inside organizations. I like to say that Fortune 2000 companies have lots of data, they don't have big data. And I define big data sort of in 2021 is the ability to access all the data an enterprise has, marry that to second and third party data, behavioral analytics data, and that's what's gonna deliver into the model new insights, dramatically new insights, and that's how enterprises can leverage their most important asset, in my view. You know, it's nice to say it's people, but people create data and people use data to make decisions. Um, so I look at it as the data and the amount of money they've invested in that is the real gem that we need to mine and deliver to the marketplace. Well, you mentioned uh, it's not the model stupid. And speaking of the concept of stupidity, you have this great title for an article that you recently wrote, which is, and I'm just going to read this, uh, why most companies are too stupid to get value from AI. Now, I assume maybe one of your answers is that it's not the model stupid, but explain a little bit more about why did you even feel like you wanted to write an article with a title that blunt? Do you feel like people need to be shaken out of some kind of stupor? Well, yeah, I think that, that like all new promising technologies, people view it as a panacea. And at the end of the day, people have freedom of choice but they actually, most people prefer freedom from choice. And one of the things we set out to do at AppScale is provide freedom of choice. Any BI tool 
any back end, any cloud. So that's one piece of it. Then the other piece is you can't just buy data robot or whatever machine learning tool you want and invest millions of dollars in a quote unquote AI initiative if you don't deliver business context to it. So it's the application of AI in business context, which is the game changer. So what we're seeing is we're in, I'd say that the second inning of a extra inning game with AI and sort of that first delivery vendors typically are product centric and customers are as well. So they're doing speeds and feeds like, you know, can I get faster results here and there? And they're missing the bigger picture. It's no different than other technologies that are mature on the curve, where it's the marriage of domain expertise and technology that delivers new lasting value. And I think people are preoccupied with the shiny box, which is AI, and not thinking about deeply about the application and the marriage to their existing data assets. And that's really what I'm referring to. It seems like one of the challenges when you're talking about bringing on this new technology for the first time is it's very natural to think in terms of the things that you're already doing. If you're replacing, if you're replacing or augmenting, you know, a certain section of your workforce, let's do what that element was doing, but we'll just do it more efficiently or we'll do it more accurately or we'll do it faster in kind of measurable ways, but still fundamentally doing the same kinds of jobs. It seems like what you're hinting at, though, and I very much agree with this, is that when you get uh, data and you combine it with AI and BI tools and you do it all in the right way, you can drive uh, the discovery of new insights for your business that the challenge is you might not have even known that you could ask that question before. So there's almost a conceptual shift that has to take place. Is that what you're driving at? Absolutely. One example is people spend billions of dollars on analytics tools and they're asking the same questions. The power, the real power of AI is it can help you decide what questions are important to ask. And like everything, businesses are dynamic, they're changing. If you're asking the same questions and you're expecting that AI is going to give you different answers, that's probably a fool's errand. If you zoom out and say with these powerful tools, we can now analyze different things and glean signal from the noise and find out what are the really important questions to ask. And all, the, all those questions are laid in the data. So figuring out the new innovative questions to ask and getting those answers, that's where customers ultimately need to go. Today, I'd say that they're using DataRobot, for instance, as a direct replacement for SAS. And that's okay. You know, because, it, you know, it, it's better um, and you'll get better results and you'll get more automated results. But the real step function and value is when you're using data robot to determine what are the most important questions to ask for our business and, and answer those questions. Uh, for a company that you think is actually playing this intelligently, can you give me an example of, of some specific questions that actually might come up in that process that wouldn't have otherwise been asked? So obviously all of our customers are leading edge. So they're, you know, they're, they're very, um, I want to be respectful of their privacy because they view AI as a competitive advantage. And what I would say is that I believe three years from now, if you don't have a cogent AI strategy in your public company, your stock will be shorted 
because they know ultimately that your competition is going to beat you. So with that said, um, without disclosing anything I shouldn't, we have a customer that's in what I'd consider and you would consider a very low tech business. Um, it has to do with the um, how do I put this in a way that isn't going to give it away? Um, it's very mysterious. You, you can make this up if you want. You can you okay. can use a adjacent industry and kind yeah. of a, an adjacent. All right, industry. there we go. Thank you. So they're in the in the business of delivering food um, and developing the products for that food, which are natural, are animals, and they're using AI, machine learning, behavioral analytics to identify everything from the class of the product, meaning they observe through video the interaction of the animal hmm. and they can make a determination based on that, leveraging our system and frankly data robot to determine, and I'll just give you sort of the punchline is the more social, the more tender the meat, if you will. Whoa. And the difference between understanding your, imagine if you have, you know, 10 billion pounds of a particular product. And today you sell all of it the same way and you're hoping for the best that it's a quality product. Um, you don't have an opportunity to charge a premium because you don't know, you know, which is going to taste better. They're using AI and machine learning uh, and analytic, advanced analytics to identify and differentiate between those those 10 billion pounds of product, which are the you know two billion that should be class A or whatever you you know yeah. whatever you call it, um, the premium products from the products that are just okay, everything from how they market those products, how those products are used by consumers. It's all driven by analytics. And if you know the company in the industry, and I said, you know, here are 10 types of companies, financial services, manufacturing, retail, right? This would be a distant last on your list that like, there's no way these people are sophisticated enough to be using data and analytics to drive their business. And it's absolutely what they're doing. And they have a massive competitive advantage over other people in their industry by adopting these techniques. That's fascinating. And if, if we talk about a world where some of this technology in terms of the, the modeling um, and maybe the advanced AI ML expertise gets, if not commoditized, then more widespread and people are able to more easily and you know leverage companies like DataRobot and AtScale to be able to query the data in a way that is more natural to them. Does it imply then that the workforce of the future will need some kind of technical understanding and will need some kind of technical conceptualization of what's possible but really the cutting edge of that human workforce is, hey, just why don't you uh, pose a hundred crazy questions to the database and see if we can get any interesting answers. And then you can kind of rack, rank them by like what interesting questions we could have, like almost working in tandem with the machine to come up with these new ways of looking at the data, which may not require technical expertise in the traditional sense, but might also require kind of a lot of domain expertise and also just a lot of imagination. Bingo. So so I think we're today at a stage where that's precisely what people are doing, asking questions that they didn't think they could ask before because there was no data and they didn't they they get a blank stare back, whether it was a computer or a person. Now we're at a point where 
leveraging these tools, we can actually, you can ask crazy questions and get answers. Um, but beyond that, you can analyze data and relationships in the data to determine what crazy questions to ask. And another example of sort of what's possible today, you know, we have customers that are basically predicting the failure of components and systems with precision. And I'm talking about um, companies that the failure is catastrophic, meaning like humans can die. Um, and so accuracy is obviously very important, particularly if you or not you or I were in said, you know, let's say vehicle. Um, so at the end of the day, the analytics infrastructure of yesterday allows you to optimize answers to sort of the, the existing questions that the world has. The world of AI married to the world of BI is allowing you to ask questions. And today we can predict future events. Tomorrow, I believe that we'll be able to instrument systems to not only, for instance, predict a pandemic, but to instruct what to do to prevent it. And that's the game changer. And as a vendor, this is going to be a loaded question. And I, I'm, we're a vendor as well at Infinity ML. But as a, you know, as a vendor, I imagine that, you know, the thesis is that this is going to increasingly take place with companies that I, you know, as a, as a company, I go out and I buy this service, you know, and it's mostly in the cloud, right? It's not something that I'm building myself. It's not something that's on-prem. This is just a theme that I've heard from other guests. So I want to kind of put it to you and see if you sure. agree or if you have any nuanced take on it, because there's, uh, you know, people might be thinking they can build this in-house, but as more and more tools and technologies become available, the thesis is for many of our guests on the show, people will focus, businesses will focus on the subject matter expertise that they're best at, and they're going to buy a lot of these other services in the cloud. Well, that's obviously my hope. Um, what I would say is early days in the industry, absolutely, they're, they're the traditional industries, banking, finance, insurance, life science, where they have the money to build the infrastructure and hire the expertise. Um, but that still is limited. Um, but they, that's definitely in sort of inning one. Um, I think ultimately what we're seeing is that Customers want to invest those calories and that money in leveraging the domain expertise and the data that they have in this new construct. And one point you or question you asked that I didn't answer um, is, so what happens to human beings? Do we all have to be Python ex experts, AI experts? I don't believe so. Anyone, yes. But I think as in all technology um, sea changes, you start with sort of a product orientation and as the market matures, you move to a value orientation. And the value comes to humans with domain expertise meeting machines. And that's ultimately where we'll be. And I believe that the real job is for us to get people comfortable with leveraging these tools. There's no magic about magic complexity of using AI to do a better job. But there's certainly an intimidation factor. And um, I'm living proof if, you know, I, I can't I can't count to 20 without taking my socks and shoes off. And I can tell you that a lot of the decisions I make in the portfolio companies I have are related on data and data that's served up to me through systems like AtScale and DataRobot. Here at AtScale, we have a pro program that we call dog food. So 
we use our own product. We use Data Robot's product to fuel the decisions that we make, that I make. And I'm not a data scientist. I'm not a computer scientist. Um, you know, I don't know what I am, but um, like David Lee Roth said, I've got charisma. So somehow I ended up here. Um, but I use those tools to do my job. And um, I think it's a comfort level to understand the power of these tools and applying your domain expertise to them. This is actually another theme that we've had on the show. A couple episodes back, we had a couple of academics who had written an article in MIT uh, Sloan Management Review about this kind of, not just the last mile, but the last inch of uh, delivering insights to executives because they had posited a scenario where they were giving executives in this simulation, you know, uh, things that they said, AI was AI has given you these insights. Now you do actually choose to act on them. And then at the end of the day, they found that there were different kinds of executives, those who always were just act on the AI, those who would be kind of somewhere in the middle and somewhat skeptical and those and people that would basically never kind of uh, act on the basis of what the AI was serving up. So is there still some distance to go perhaps? And by the way, people should go back and look at that episode. I hope I'm framing that up correctly. Um, but is there still some distance to go in terms of building executive trust? You obviously trust the systems, but do you see a disparity in terms of, okay, at the end of the day, the insights in front of me, but a human being still has to use it and decide to use it. Well, that's, that's ab absolutely right. Um, I would say even for myself, I still apply my own intuition and analysis of business context to the data or to the, to the insights I get. So I don't blindly follow um, in, a, in a prescriptive way, um, but I'd say I interact and validate. So if, if I learn something that seems like it's either a super breakthrough or we had bad data, um, you know, I'll investigate further and the tools allow you to do that. But you bring up a, a great point I think one way to get executives more comfortable is through transparency and visibility and trusted AI. So I don't trust black boxes because I can't see how they came up with the answer. Yeah. But if, if I get a compelling answer and I can work back from the punchline and validate my own mind and, and it's aligned with my business context and tuition, that's a score. So I think it's super important for, for companies that are delivering these kinds of solutions to be able to, you know, as I'm trying to teach my 15 year old, when he gets a, you know, a 60 on his math score, you got to show your work. And then you might get, get partial credit. If you don't show your work, it's, you either get, get it right or you get it wrong. And I think that's what maybe that study was reacting to. But, you know, for myself, I only read comic books. So I'll definitely check out the episode on video. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, the uh, let me just run a couple of things by you that we kind of think about at InfiniML, and we ask a lot of our guests about this. Um, just as someone who's in this space, I'm curious for your take on. Uh, we at Infinia talk a lot about natural language processing. We're doing a lot of document processing at our company. Where, what do you think the limits are of that technology right now? Or in other words, what's just over the horizon for what machines are going to be able to do when they quote unquote you know read and understand documents that are put in front of them? Well, well, I think that the next step function in innovation is going to be going from leveraging those tools from a predictive standpoint to an actionable standpoint. And here it's definitely going to be machine meets machine. 
So what's going to be required? The infrastructure is going to have to scale. And that's why companies like NVIDIA are super important. Um, and anybody that's building out the infrastructure, because the infrastructure still is going to have to support all these things at, pardon the pun, at scale. Mm-hmm. Once the uh, something, something tells me you, you like to use that pun a lot. And I appreciate a good brand. So I, I'm on board with you there. So, so the, the, the deal is when we have the scale to have not pay a tax for the processing, natural language processing, we're going to be able to use it when it's trusted to without it a human being, right? But, but under sort of like, right, the Oz curtain where we say, okay, here are the things, 10 things that matter in our business or our life. And here's what we want to have happen. And I think that machines will be able to enforce that and they'll be able to use data to shift and make changes to make sure that what we instruct as sort of the higher platitudes, the vision point that we direct, they'll be able to enforce it. Today, systems can tell you, hey, Chris, this is what's happening. You know, you've got issues with your inventory turns, your supply chain. So it's telling me something, then human beings can get involved and take action. There'll be a point where this ultimate scale where basically I still think human beings will decide for their businesses based on the domain. Here are the 10 things that matter in our business. The systems will be able to enforce those things to happen and make changes in the business and instruction of human beings to enforce those outcomes. Robot boss. Correct. <laughs> but ultimately, ultimately there's always going to be right. I'm the boss of at scale. You know, but when I go home, I'm not the boss. I'm, I'm second or third in command at best. There'll always be, in my mind, a human being at the top deciding, right, where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, do you think at that point, do you think at some future point, there's almost no distinction to be made then between structured and unstructured data? Because a machine will just be able to kind of scoop up all of it and make decisions based on all of it. And, and that distinction that we think about so much now won't become as meaningful. So we're far away from that for a bunch of technical reasons, but absolutely, uh, I think it's possible. And I think that that kind of data ubiquity is gonna be the game changer in being able to do this prescriptive enforcement that I'm talking about. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been, it's been great to chat with you about your insights and uh, the two companies that you are involved in and kind of blending together to build the future. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and being involved. Chris Lynch of AtScale and Data Robot. And that is our show. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Please like, rate, comment, subscribe. Let the algorithms know you dig it. I'm James Kotecki. And that is what happens when machine meets world.